Good singing this evening. You may be seated. Well, I just wanted to say one additional comment before Dr. Sis comes, and that is this. On the way over, we were talking, and it's something that confirmed what I've generally believed, though I don't know if there's anybody that does statistics on how many missionaries come off the field, how many missionaries go to the field. Uh, but it seems that there is equivalent to the spiritual decline of our nation, a reduction in the outward advance of the gospel message. It seems like it's correlated. And so uh, as we look at what we do as missions, we certainly give to missions. Uh, But I think the two of us came to maybe a thought on the way down Lyle Road on the way to church today, and that is this. It is good that people give money But churches, even like ours, need to give men, uh, not just money, uh, to go to the foreign field. And so uh, I've asked Dr. Sis to share with us this evening about the idea of evangelism. You you run Baptist International Missions Incorporated for how many years? 20 years. 20 years, and a missionary for 20 years years before that, and then teaching on missions at a Christian college for, just say 20, 20 (laughs) years after that. Might as well just keep going to 20 years. Has 140 years old at this point. He's like Moses. Um, The point is, it it is incumbent upon churches like ours. And you say, well, Pastor, why didn't you have him preach that this morning? I didn't have him preach anything. It's how God directed. And the reason I think it's necessary and needed in an evening service like this is because this is the core of the church. These are the people. God rarely calls somebody that's marginally attending church every once in a while. God usually works in the hearts of men, young and old, uh, specifically in the evening service and on the Wednesday night, those that come together and crave or want to know God and the God of the Bible. So, Brother Sisk, if you will come and preach again for us this evening, we'll appreciate it. Of the Bannings. And I, I think you folks realize what you have. Uh, a, great, a great family, thank God for them. A great mother that is uh, totally committed to being a wife and a mother and an example for the people in the church. Uh, a, a great preacher in the part of Kyle. And uh, God has just blessed this family so much. And, and I, I know that you know this better than I do. But uh, it has been a, a wonderful thrill for me uh, just to be in their home this week. It, uh, it uh, in, encourages me. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And again, I'm going to ask you if you're able and would like to stand just to honor God's word as I read tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be reading verses 8 through 10. And you follow me in your Bible, and then we'll look at some other verses from that chapter. So uh, keep your iPad, your iPhone, or your Bible open, okay? And we'll look at some other verses from that. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, 8, 9 and 10 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man 
should boast. For we are his workmanship. In other words, God's masterpiece. That's exactly what it means. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together again tonight, dear Lord. Thank you for the service this morning. Thank you for the people that have come tonight. Now I pray again tonight, dear Lord, that you'll take us and, and use us for your honor and your glory. There's no greater joy than to be used of you. So as best we know how, we commit ourselves to you tonight. Uh, help us to be better Christians when we leave this place just because of the hearing of the word of God. And Lord, you've not promised to bless what Don says, says, but you have promised to bless your word. And we stand on your word. And what a blessing it is to know that when we preach the word of God, that it will have an effect, a prosperous thing. It shall not return to the void. Now, dear Lord, I, I stand again tonight on the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, I was uh, preaching in Southern California. And uh, after I had finished my message on Sunday evening, uh, the pastor came up to me and he said, uh, uh, Brother says, that was an awesome message. And I felt kind of good about that. And uh, after the service, we went out to a hamburger place in California named In and Out. How many have ever had an In and Out? Okay, wow. Uh, anyway, we went to In and Out and we were eating that hamburger. And, and this preacher looked at me and he said, Brother Sis, this is an awesome hamburger. And all I could think of was something like my message. Amen. <laughs> uh, now, uh, awesome is not a bad word. Uh, it, it is, uh, relatively speaking, a more recent word. I, I don't mean more recent than the last 15, 20 years. But for instance, when the King James Bible was written, 1611, uh, the word awesome was not even in use. I think it came along something like the 18th century or something like that. Uh, so as a result, uh, we don't have one time the word awesome in our King James Bible. Now, uh, some of the more modern versions and so forth, uh, they do, but not, not any of it. And uh, now, awesome is not a bad word, okay? But to me, there, there's a better word, okay? It don't mean awesome is bad. So if you're using that word all the time, don't say, Brother says, preach against me. I didn't do that, okay? If I preach a message tonight and you really like it, you can just come and say, that's an awesome message, okay? <laughs> it, it probably won't be, but if, if I did, okay. And I, that word is amazing. Amazing. Uh, so, so tonight, I, I, I want to preach on that subject. Amazing indeed. Amazing indeed. 
Uh, look again in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, the Apostle Paul was not very complimentary about the people that he wrote to. And by the way, he's writing to Christian people, so that's us, amen. So, so notice what he said about us, okay. He, he said, uh, and uh, you hath the quicken who were dead in trespasses and in sin. By the way, uh, we didn't just need a little help. Huh? We were dead, dead in trespasses and in sin. Then he went on to say, when in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So that, that was us. That was all of us. But notice the next statement. But God. <laughs> wow. And by the way, that term appears several times in the Bible. But God. This is what you were, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved. But God. And by the way, and that makes all of the difference in the world. So let's think, that, first of all, tonight about God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Uh, there was a man by the name of John Newton. John Newton's mother died when he was uh, 14, 15 years old. And somehow, even as a young teenager, he got on a boat. And uh, eventually, he became a slave trader. John Newton, uh, if you read his biography, and he will tell you about it, became one of the most wicked men that ever lived on the face of the earth. He did everything, everything that was contrary to, to God. One night in the midst of a storm, the ship began to roar, wake, be in danger of being destroyed and so forth. And John Newton remembered that his mother had given him her Bible. Uh, I don't think by reading the biography he had ever looked at it before. But he got that Bible out and he began to, to read. Now, it wasn't an immediate thing, but in the process of time, John Newton trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he, and he came back to England, or went back to England, and uh, eventually became a pastor. And he was uh, one of the great advocates for, for stopping slavery. And he did everything that he could to stop that horrible, horrible thing in England. And he became pastor of a church in Albany. 
And I, I, I still remember very vividly when we were having a field conference for our European directors in England that we went to uh, John Newton's church where he pastored in Albany. And I got up in the pulpit and preached. Wasn't anybody there listening, but uh, it was just good to get in the pulpit where John Newton had stood. And uh, then, then we went out to the graveyard where John Newton was buried, and we gathered around his grave, and we sang his song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. By the way, I have never been to a country, and I've been in 82 different countries around the world. I've never been in a country where that song had not been translated into their language. Amazing grace. There's nobody that God cannot reach. I was born uh, May the 30th, 1933. Uh, now, it don't take you long to figure that out, okay? Uh, okay, you're 90 years old, okay? And uh, when I was born, it was in the very midst of the Great Depression. Living in western Kentucky, my dad was a coal miner. He made practically nothing. And uh, I, I don't think we knew how poor we were back in those days because everybody else was poor. But you think about it. We had nothing that we think is absolutely necessary today. Uh, we, we had no radio. We had no telephone. Uh, we had no wall-to-wall -wall carpet. In fact, our house didn't even have wall-to-wall -wall flooring. In my bedroom, I, uh, not my bedroom, but the bedroom with me and three other kids, uh, I could look through some tracks and see the ground. Uh, back in those days, we had to watch television in the dark. Now, you'll get that a little later on. <laughs> in other words, we had no electricity in our house until I was a senior in high school. Nothing. My dad was a coal miner, a hard worker. Made very little money. But, uh, and, and all week long, he was the most gentle, easiest person in the world to get along with. But uh, every Saturday, and most of the time on Sunday, he was a heavy drinker. He got drunk. And, and when he got drunk, he was controlled by alcohol. And he was abusive and mean. You know. So that, that's the kind of family uh, I was reared in. When I was a sophomore in high school, my classmate Bill Welsh said to me, Don, we're having a Youth for Christ meeting on Saturday night, and I'd like for you to go with us and I said, well, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have any money. Don't have any. Okay, Bill, I'll go with you. And then I got to thinking, youth, I can meet that qualification. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I don't believe you were ever young. But I have pictures to prove it, okay? <laughs> and uh, then I thought, youth, okay, but for Christ, it's probably a Christian gathering. I'm not a Christian. My family's not Christian. 
know very little about the Bible. I'd, I'd been to church enough to know that there was a heaven, there was a hell. I heard an old-fashioned Methodist preacher preach on the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. And so I'd, I'd been to a few revival meetings. Uh, I, re I remember a lady coming through our little town of Mannington and all by herself conducting a vacation Bible school. And she was such a godly Christian. The, the joy of the Lord was so evident in her life. And, and I never got over uh, that what I heard there. Anyway, all week long I tried to think of a reason why I couldn't go with Bill. And then on Saturday morning, I woke up. And the first thing I thought about, I'm not going to look for any excuse not to go. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. Uh, I, I don't even have any reason for living. Uh, now, I don't know what they do, but I've been in church enough to know that when the preacher quits preaching, they sing a song and people go forward. And I, 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 I had no idea what they do, but I thought in my own mind, uh, tonight I'm going to church and uh, whatever they do, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to go down the aisle and, and I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do. And in essence, I went to church to get saved. And uh, I don't know what the preacher preached about. All I want to know is that he preached too long. And I thought, why don't he quit preaching so I can go get saved? You know. Anyway, when uh, he got through preaching, and eventually he did, okay, and uh, I, I started down the aisle, and behind me a Baptist preacher followed me down the aisle. And uh, we got to the altar, and we, we bowed there. And he showed me some things I knew, that uh, you're a sinner. If you died in your sin, you go to hell. But Jesus Christ died for your sin. And even though I knew very little about the Bible, that night I kneeled and asked Jesus to be my Savior, trusted him as my Lord and Savior. Uh, I didn't feel any liquid love running up and down my spine. I didn't see any lights flashing. But when I got up from that prayer, I stood up and I had a peace in my heart I'd never had before. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, I didn't know it then. But that night I went to church on my way to hell. And I went home on my way to heaven. I went to church and I had physical life, but I had no spiritual life. But I went home and I had not only physical life, but I had spiritual life. By the way, the next morning, Sunday morning, I knew it. The first thing I thought about was, I'm going to church today. Now, that was not my usual thinking on Sunday morning. I'm going to play basketball, I'm going for a hike, I'm going swimming, you know, whatever. But I thought, I'm, I'm going to church. And I went to church, and guess what happened? The church had radically changed. It was interesting. Even the preaching was tolerable, okay? And the singing, you know, I thought, man, this church has really changed. It hadn't. I had changed, amen. Amazing grace of God. I never will forget going to the same geometry class next Monday morning. 
And uh, for some reason, I knew every question Miss Gladish asked. And I remember her stopping, and she said, Don, you seem to be extremely bright this morning. And I thought, praise God, getting saved makes you smarter, amen? <laughs> now, I'm not going to promise straight A's if you get saved. But I'm, I'm going to say this. It, it changed my life completely. I, I had two great thoughts that night. Number one, nobody in my family was saved. I thought, this is wonderful. And the next thought I had was, I wish my dad was saved. That took a long time. But when he was 57 years old, in a revival meeting, my dad trusted Christ as his Savior. I was standing beside him after John Robinson had preached a wonderful gospel message. First time I'd ever seen him in church in my life. And we had a prayer meeting before church, and I said, folks, my dad's here tonight. He's 57 years old. It's the first time I've ever seen him in church in my life. And uh, we had a good prayer meeting. And John preached a, a good message, and it's a good thing he did. If he'd have just messed around, I'd have shot him, amen? <laughs> but he preached a good message. And after the message, I just put my arm around my dad, and tears were in his eyes already. And I said, Papa, I'd, I'd sure like to see you get saved. And he said, I want to get saved, son. And he trusted Christ as his Savior that night. He lived to be 73. Never took another drink of whiskey or beer. Never heard him utter another curse word. Amazing grace. How sweet this sound. When we went to Japan, he went to the O'Hara airport with us. And I remember him saying to me that night, Don, you're going a long way. I'm an old man. I may never see you on this earth, but if I don't, I'll see you in heaven. And my daughter called from Tennessee Temple one day and said, Dad, I hate to call and tell you this, but I just got word that Papa had a heart attack, and he's gone. Amazing grace. Listen to God's amazing grace. Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See that word ungodly? Aren't you glad for that little prefix, un? Because if he would have said Christ died for the ungodly, that would not have included any of us. But he died for the ungodly. And it, and, it, and it goes on to say, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, and there's that word again, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for people that loved him. He died for sinners, and we were alienated from God, and we were enemies of God. And somebody might say, oh, but I'm not saved, but I'm not an enemy of God. Well, the Bible says you are. We're alienated from God, enemies of God. God's amazing grace. Let me give you a verse, and you've used it in soul winning. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at it again, okay? In the first part of the verse, we find God's wonderful mercy. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But mercy is God keeping from us what we deserve. Now, every once in a while, I meet some dumb person that don't know the Bible very well, and I hear him say something like this. All I want is what I deserve. And every time I hear that, Brother Kyle, I think, no, you don't. If I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserve, we'd all spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. That's mercy. Look at the last part of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. Mercy is God keeping from us what we deserve. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. God's amazing grace. Now think with me. God's amazing plan. God's amazing plan. After the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the burial, uh, after the Sabbath was over, early in the morning, Sunday morning, some ladies got together and decided that we are going to go out and prepare the body of Jesus Christ for the burial. Now, some of you Bible scholars can help me on this, okay? Uh, I, you, you know who took care of their burial? His burial? You know, Joseph of Amarthia and Nicodemus. Both of them were very wealthy. And I believe from the depth of my heart that they prepared the body of Jesus for the entombment. Now, why these ladies thought they had to do it over again is beyond me. The only reason I can think of it, they got together and began to think, and they said, you know, men can't do anything right. <laughs> now, this is Don says theology. It may not be right, okay. Uh, but uh, we're going we're gonna to do it right. But, and and uh, on the way to the tomb, uh, their, their problem was this. Uh, how are we going to roll away that big stone? And they got to the place of the tomb, and to their amazement, the stone had been rolled away. And by the way, it wasn't rolled away so he could get out. I mean, after his death, burial, he and resurrection, he walked through doors. He could have walked through that stone. So the stone was not rolled away so he could get out. It was rolled away so we could see inside. It's empty. I never will forget on a trip to Israel, a Jewish guide. And we got to the tomb of Jesus, where we're pretty sure that's where he was buried, or in tomb. And he made a statement. He said, uh, uh, there, there's a controversy where it, it's the garden tomb here or whether it's another place. I, I think that, well, where the Catholic Church is now. And then he said, but it doesn't make any difference which tomb he was in. He's not in either one of them. 
We serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. And I know that he is living, whatever men may say. And so the, the, the angel said to this, these women, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And then he said, go see the place where you live. And then he said, go and tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Now think about that word Galilee, okay? Go tell his disciples to meet him, me, meet him in Galilee. Uh, so the women right away, they, they took off to find the other disciple. But before they did that, they met Jesus. And they worshiped him, and he said, okay, but uh, I, I'm, I'm going, I haven't gone back to my father yet. Don't do some certain things. But then he said, and by the way, he said, go tell my brethren, the same group of people that were his disciples, go tell my brethren to meet me at Galilee. Now, why did he want them to meet him at Galilee? Why did the angels say, tell the disciples, go to Galilee? Why did Jesus say to the women, tell my brethren to go to Galilee? And here's the reason. And here we see God's amazing plan. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Or maybe they're going to put the verses on here. And... Uh, this begins with verse 19, and we're going back a little bit farther, okay? Bottom line is that the disciples went to Galilee where they were appointed to go. And uh, when they saw the Lord, they worshiped him. By the way, he is worthy of worship, is he not? He desires our worship, and he deserves our worship. But then the sad word, but some doubted. So there must have been some good Baptists there, amen. And then Jesus spake unto them and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Think about that. That is a unique statement. Nobody who ever lived could make that statement other than the God-man, Jesus Christ. I have authority over disease. I have authority over devils. I have authority over sickness. All authority is given unto me. And by the way, if he had not said that, then verses 18 through 20 would have been a literal impossibility. Look at it. For as much as you know that you would... No, no, that's not what I want to read. And, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying... All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. I have all power. By the way, we cannot do the work of God by ourselves. Uh, to me, recently, and my life verse was Psalms 126, verses 5 and 6. If I've ever signed your Bible, I've signed my books and so forth. But recently, I've thought so much about John 15, 5. And Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, 
the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then, without me, you can do what? Nothing. You think about it. I'm the vine. You're the branch. And you take a branch away from a vine, and you can put it anywhere you want to. You can do whatever you want to with it. It is absolutely useless. But attached to the vine, it can bring forth great fruit. I'm the vine. You're the branch. He that divideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth much fruit. So Jesus said, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Think about this. As a person that maybe is thinking about what God would have me to do with my life. And many times when we think like that, we think, but I'm so limited, I'm this, I'm not that, and so forth. Maybe it doesn't make any difference. What makes a difference is, is that you abide in the vine. And as you do, you bring forth much fruit. And then after that, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Then he said, go ye therefore. Now think about this. When we are involved in fulfilling the Great Commission, and by the way, missions does not begin in Japan or Hong Kong or in Russia or Yugoslavia or wherever. No. Missions begins wherever you are. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, I think it was Baptist Mid-Mission that used to have these little plaques that sent to churches all over America. And on the door, on the exit of the churches, you would see this. You are now entering a mission field. Hey, you're living on a mission field because there's a lot of people even in the Bible Belt of Kentucky that has no idea what the Bible teaches about salvation. So when we are involved in giving and praying and going wherever, whatever, we are working with omnipotence. It's not our power that gets it done. It's, it's the work of God. So he said to them, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Now here's the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And the word nation comes from the word ethnic. Ethnos. Which means ethnic groups. I think there's something like 195, 200 organized nations in the world. But there are thousands of ethnic groups. So Jesus was sure, I want you to tell everybody. We therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And by the way, we're his disciples in this age. And guess what? We have as much responsibility for evangelizing our generation 
as those first disciples did. God's great plan. I, I nearly in my mind, I, I, think, I think like this, Brother Kyle. I think when Jesus met with his disciples, and he told them all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I think he did something like this. Now, fellas, I have done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. Remember his last words just before he died on the cross? It is finished, three words in English. In the Greek language, it's just one word, tetelestai. And uh, when a mortgage would be paid off, they'd take a stamp and stamp it, and you looked at it, and it said, tetelestai, paid in full. An artist would get through with the picture, put the final touch, step back and say, it is finished. And the last words that Jesus uttered before he died on the cross. It's finished. I've done everything my father sent me to do. I've done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. And there at Galilee, where he appointed for them to come. I, I like to think this. Jesus looked at those disciples and he looks at you and I tonight and he says now I've done everything that's necessary in order for mankind to be saved now you go and get this good news to everybody go you into all the world preach the gospel to every creature God's great Hey, don't, don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus Christ only died for a few people. I love when he said, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. That's God's ultimate aim for us. And then he said, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I often tell people, if you want to go to heaven, you better get yourself a good Jewish lawyer. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Okay. And then he said, and he, Jesus, is a propitiation, the sacrifice that pleases God. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's pretty clear, isn't it? For this is good and acceptable in sight of God our Father, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of God. For there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And he is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. God's great plan. God's great plan. Now, in conclusion, let, let me give you one other thing. Amazing grace. God's amazing plan and our amazing responsibility and opportunity. I mean, it's up to us now in this generation. And think about it. Today, as and sometimes we look at things and things look bad. And by the way, I'm not blind. They do look bad. But the bottom line is, 
Things have been bad in every generation. And so we're not nearly as bad as a lot of the other generations were. But it, it is such a joy. Now, I, I never thought I'd live in the 21st century. Okay? Uh, I always, none, none of my family lived very long. So I always figured I would, I would die well before my wife because her family had a history of longevity. In fact, her mother-in-law lived to be 106 years old. So I tell young preachers everywhere, now be careful how you choose your mother-in-law because they last a long time, amen. Amen. <laughs> but she, she, my mother-in-law was a wonderful mother-in-law. And she had six son-in-laws, but she knew which one was the best, Amen. I remember when she was about 102 years old and we were having Christmas dinner and after we finished, she said, now we need to talk a little bit. And she said, now when I pass, uh, I want Don to be my pastor. Now, I knew what she meant. I, she wanted me to preach her funeral and, and I did. But you think about it. We who are living in 2023 have the greatest opportunity of any Christians that's ever lived on the face of the earth. There are more open doors. There are more trained leaders in Bible-believing churches than ever before. Years ago, in Bible colleges, and I'm not going to name them, but you think of all the good Bible colleges, and, and there are many of them. And if you would go to an average graduation on 10, 20 years ago, uh, there were about at least 10% of the graduates that were going to the mission field. Last year, I figured up all of the graduates from about 10 different Bible colleges, good Bible colleges. Less than 1% were going to the mission field. So we have more trained leaders today than in the history of biblical Christianity. The only problem is they're all going to the same group of people. 6% of the people of the world speak English. 90% of all the preaching that's done is done in the English language. And that means that 6% of the preachers are trying to minister to 94% of the people. That's an ugly statistic. Something's wrong with that. Somebody's not listening. Isn't it wonderful when Isaiah had that great vision of the thrice holy God and his sins were cleansed? And, and then he said, And I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Now, preaching a lot of chapel services, high school, college, seminaries, and so forth. And I kind of kid the men. And I said, today we heard the voice of Isaiah say, God saying to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go forth? By the way, that's a rather generic calling. He didn't say, Isaiah, could I send you? Isaiah, will you go? No. Uh, years ago, I was with a young preacher. 
Uh, every preacher I preach for is a whole lot younger than me. Amen. <laughs> but he, he was he was a young preacher. And he kept saying, I'd give anything if I could go to the mission field. I'd love to be a missionary and so forth. So one day we were eating, and I said, I'll I tell you what you ought to do. Uh, you ought to resign from your church and uh, find a place that needs a missionary, and that will not be hard to do. There's so many unevangelized places in the world. And you go over there, and uh, uh, you, you win some people to the Lord, and you disciple them and train them, and uh, maybe start some churches and so forth. And he said, well, brother says, I don't know if I'm called. I said, you go ahead and do that. Even if you weren't called, God will forgive you. You know, somehow we feel like we ought to have something real special in order to go to the foreign country. Bottom line is, we ought to have to have something real special to stay in America. Whom shall I send? Who go for it? So I tell college and Bible school, seminary student, today God's red-blooded Americans say, when they hear the word, whom shall I send and who will go for it? They say, here's my sister. Send her. And you go to colleges all over America, and there are more ladies that are willing to go to the mission field than there are men. Where are the red-blooded Godly men that would give their lives in order to reach people who have never heard about our Savior. More trained leaders. More technology. Years ago when missionaries started the mission field, sometimes it would take six months, sometimes even a year. It took Adonai and Judson over a year to finally get to Burma. Now, you can go to the Atlanta airport, the busiest airport in the world, and in a matter of hours, you can be anywhere in the world. Uh, we have the Internet. We have so many things that my generation before never even heard about. We have more technology. We have more money. The last two years at BIMI, and we represent some 8,000 churches that, that send some money for missionaries through BIMI. Now, it doesn't get to BIMI, but it just goes through us, okay? It's all designated. We don't have to worry about what to do with it. The last two years have been record years in giving. The last two years at BIMI, we've had the fewest missionaries in the 66 years of the history of our mission. Huh? Something is wrong. Somebody is not listening. If they're not, if they're listening, they're not obeying. More money. More people. November the 15th last year, the world population reached Eight billion people. You think about it. That's nearly an unbelievable number. More people to preach to. Let me give you some questions in closing tonight. And please take it personal, okay? Now, it's easy to sit here tonight and say, this is what our church does. That's good. 
corporatively, that, that's wonderful. But, but take it personally. What am I doing right now to fulfill the Great Commission? What am I personally doing right now to fulfill the Great Commission? And many of us would have to think and say, I don't know that I'm doing anything, that I'm not doing. Next question, what are you willing to do? If God speaks to your heart about something, what are you willing to do? And I trust tonight God will speak to heart. And the last question is this, what are you waiting for? Well, I'm going to some, wait a minute. People are going to do something someday, never do it. The world is lost and dying and going to hell. We're his disciples in this generation. Aren't you glad that first group of disciples did not fail? If they had, we'd have never heard the gospel. And by the way, we are just as responsible as those were. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We have the greatest news in the world, the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He's a resurrected Savior, and he's willing and ready to save all who will come to him. Let's bow our heads for prayer.